Matthew 19, I'm going to begin reading at verse 1. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. You may recall that we looked at this passage last week also, and we're going to turn again to it one more week. It's a passage that addresses very tender, intimate parts of our lives. And last week we looked at Jesus' statement that God created us male and female. And today I'd like to look at marriage and divorce. I think you'll agree that talking about Divorce is like sticking a finger into an open wound of someone you love. A tender subject for sure, so be in prayer. It's like all the other tender subjects, people struggling with sexual identity or uh, in an unhappy marriage. I think people who are struggling with these things feel like they're in a tiny boat in an open ocean with a fierce storm overcoming them. Who will help me? Who can I trust? There's all kinds of voices giving them advice. Their own emotions, their own desires are in turmoil. And the question is, who can I trust? Is there someone who can guide me? And here, Jesus speaks to these issues. Our Savior, God incarnate. God who is love incarnate speaks to us. You remember that there was some foundations that Jesus laid, and I will rehearse them in about 30 seconds here, so that you will know, because all of us as Jesus' followers think through these issues with these foundations in mind. First, that there is a God, and he has spoken, which means we know how things are supposed to be, which also means very logically, very rationally, we want that for ourselves. How can we be happy unless we're doing what we were created to do? both individually and as a society. Uh, second, the world is not as it's supposed to be. We have rebelled against God, that's what Scripture says. So the imprint of that rebellion is on our soul, our mind, our body, on all of our relationships. And friends, that's an empirical fact. We see it every day. And thirdly, Christ Jesus came into the world to hear, heal and restore broken lives. So I'd like to apply those now to this issue of marriage and divorce, and I'm going to look at it, these same three points with these headings, the, the wrong question, the right diagnosis, and healing grace. 
the wrong question, the right diagnosis, and healing grace. Let's, let's start with what, where the Pharisees did. They started with a wrong question. Don't ask the wrong question like the Pharisees did. They come to test Jesus, it says, uh, verse 3. Uh, how can we, this is basically their question, how can we legally get out of divorce? And Jesus says, eh, wrong question. That, that's not what we want to talk about here. There's a kind of, I think I'd call it self-righteousness embedded in this question. You know, we're good people. We want to do things, everything by the book, morally, because we're upright people. So tell us what's an upright, legal, morally good way to get out of our marriages. That's what they want to know. As you might have heard, there's some competing schools of thoughts. These schools of thoughts began maybe about a hundred years before Christ. Influential, there was what you'd call the liberal school of thought. And they seem to be coding that here. Uh, Hillel said that you can basically divorce for any reason at all. It was the no-fault divorce school of thought. You know. Then there was the more conservative uh, school of thought that had stricter rules. For example, they said you can divorce for immorality, but not for every reason. And I, I think... And as I've been studying this passage especially, I've felt convicted that we all, and me in particular, look at this passage with the same attitude. We look at it as lawyers. How can we end marriage the right way? How can we please God in the way that we end marriage? And we tend to look at this passage with that in mind. I, I think it's a practical question. I will admit that, which is why we as a church have to look at that. And I'll tell you that my conclusion is that it is possible for God's people to divorce and remarry with biblical foundations. But I'll tell you right up front that I won't be spending much time on that today. And I hope you'll see why. I hope you'll see as we go through this passage why that's the best thing to do. The reason I'm not spending time on that, on that legal analysis, looking at all the other passages, which there are others in Scripture that talk about divorce, is because I think we sometimes miss the forest for the trees, just like the Pharisees did. So Jesus' focus is on what is supposed to be. So verses 4 through 6 he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. They are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. He wasn't saying, let me give you a few righteous ways to leave your wife. You know, like that old song, you know, there must be 50 ways to leave your lover. That's not what Jesus was singing here. That's what the Pharisees wanted him to say. Instead, he says, here's the question to ask, how can I honor God in my marriage? That's the correct question. If, if, met, if marriage is a gift from God, and that's what Jesus is saying here, doesn't it make sense that I should give all my being to enjoying this gift fully? What else could be more rational than that? I had a friend who uh, knew this older man for uh, not more than two years. 
And after the two years, this older man died, but they had developed a kind of a friendship. And to my friend's surprise, this older man left this beautiful oceanfront home to him and his family. Wow, beautiful. It's a huge house, has nice property around it, this huge barn workshop that's attached to it. Now, what do you think the family did when they heard about this? Do you think they had a little family meeting and said, oh man, how can we figure out a legal way to get out of this? Not at all. They said, how can we enjoy this gift? They went into the house, they're exploring all the rooms, there was a lot of them, up into the attic where there were all these interesting antiques. The guy looked at the workshop and said, oh, what can I build? They started talking about buying a boat, inviting their friends over because they had so many uh, rooms now to house them. How can we enjoy this beautiful gift? And that's what Jesus is saying. Marriage is a wonderful gift. The wrong question to ask is, how can I get out of marriage legally? The right question is, what's marriage supposed to be and how can I enjoy it? It was a gift from God. If you go to Genesis 2, verse 15, you know, uh, God said when he looked at Adam, it's not good for man or woman to be alone. And so he made this marriage as a provision for us. It's, it's as important as the air we breathe and the water we drink. We need this companionship. We're made for it. Of course, immediately that raises the question, what about singles? What about those whose view of marriage as male and female doesn't line up with Jesus' view? Jesus does talk about it, and I'm going to come back to that in the future. So it's not that you're ignored. The grace of God is for you. The love of God is for you also. And I'll be returning to that. But I want to focus on marriage for today. One man and one woman united for life by the hand of God. And so in verse 6 it says, What God has put together, let no one separate. It's very interesting, isn't it? What God has put together. God's involved in this. Uh, in, in this act of uh, publicly exchanging vows, which seems like such an ordinary act, something divine happens. God joins the man and the woman to one another. God is involved in it. Of course, these days, more and more people live together. And they live together because, well, they want to make sure it'll work out. We want to make sure we're compatible. But I, I think what happens is it misses out on this divine act, this this miracle of God. And so because this miracle of God is missing, living together is really not the same as marriage. I think it's like buying things from Amazon. Yes, it's fun. There's lots of things there. Do you ever wonder why they have such a generous return policy? You know, we'll, we'll pay the postage, we'll print the label, we'll give you the box. Well, it's because they know people will want to return things. It's because the beautiful description that they have on their website and the pictures that they have are really not an accurate representation of what people are going to get. And so people will want to return things. And I think in the same way, living together is really not an accurate representation of the commitment and the divine miracle that God does in joining a man and a woman together. But there is a growing trend in our country and really all through the West of living together more and more. 
And I think it points to something very human in us. I, I think it points to a sweet hope that all of us have that we really like marriage. We really want marriage to work. We hate the thought of marriages breaking apart. We hate the thought of our hearts breaking when our marriages break apart. We want some assurance. We want some guarantees. And in our desperation, we think maybe this will work. Maybe this will help us. And I think that points to the right question. I don't agree with living together, but I think it points to the human heart. It, it shows that the human heart is pointed to the right question, which is how can we enjoy marriage? And so that leads me to the second point, the correct diagnosis. Uh, the Pharisees asked the wrong question, and we shouldn't be asking the wrong question. But then that leads to the correct diagnosis. The world is not what it's supposed to be. And friends, neither are you or me. We're not what we're supposed to be, and therefore, our marriages are not what they're supposed to be. Nobody's marriage is what it's supposed to be. The Pharisees persist. They didn't quite like Jesus' answer. Verse 7, they said to him, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? You know, they're like us. They're saying, yeah, 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 fine Christian words. You're a pastor. You're supposed to say all this, but... Just tell me what I'm supposed to do. You don't know what I'm going through. What are the rules for ending a marriage? It's in the Old Testament. Moses talked about it in Deuteronomy chapter 24. Why don't you talk about it, Jesus? That's what they're saying. What's your opinion? How can I hold my head up high after a divorce? That's what they're asking. How can I know that I'm upright, that I've fulfilled God's righteous will? So they quote Deuteronomy 24. Really, they misquote it. Jesus, uh, or Moses rather, never said, give her a certificate as though it was a command, as though he was even recommending it. But Moses was acknowledging the reality of it. Yeah, there's divorce in our world. And so he was regulating it. And you can go back and read it. But why does he, why does he even recognize that it's a reality. Why does he say, no, no, under no circumstances can you get a divorce? Well, because things are not the way they're supposed to be. Our world has fallen. And so Jesus' diagnosis reaches very deep. So his answer uh, said, because, verse 8, because of the hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been so. The problem is in your hearts for the hardness of hearts. It's a, in the Greek, it's a single word, hardness of heart. The, one of the root words is, is sclerosis. I think you know that word, right, in English. It, at least the Greek word gives us that English word, hardening. We, have, we talk about sclerosis of the arteries, hardening of the arteries. And now here Jesus is talking about disease, a spiritual disease, which is hardening of the heart. Our hearts no longer love and delight in God and His will. Our hearts don't really want to pray, Lord, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're hardened to God. And friends, it's not just the Pharisees that Jesus is talking about. As you read His words and the words of the Bible, He's talking about me and He's talking about you. He's talking about singles. He's talking about those who are married. He's talking about those who are divorced. He's talking about every single man, woman, and child. We all live in the shadow of Genesis 3. 
Because just like Adam and Eve, we trust our own desires and our own instincts more than we trust God, more than we trust his promises and his provision and his commandments and his love. We have these hard, hard hearts, he says. That's the reality of the world. We have hard, hard hearts. So divorce is a reality because it's a part of this fallen world. So in verse 9, Jesus points to immorality. Adultery as, a, as, as one of the ways in which hard hearts break that warm intimacy of marriage that God had created. And we know it does. We know how easily our hearts succumb to the promise of false love, don't they? Somebody comes with warmth and affection and, and, and all our defenses melt away. Some of you will recognize the name Elton John, a quite well-known musician and songwriter of a, I guess you'd say, a previous generation, uh, and yet his hits are still played. Elton John, if you know him, is not one whose view of marriage would at all agree with Jesus' view of marriage, and yet I, I think he has insight into human nature, which does agree precisely with what Jesus says. He recognizes how every relationship is injured and in danger because of our hard, hard hearts. In one song, uh, he writes about immorality, actually, adultery. He says this, It's a human sign when things go wrong, when the scent of her lingers and temptation strong. Into the boundary of each married man, sweet deceit comes calling, negativity lands. And the chorus says, cold, cold heart, hard done by you. Cold, cold heart. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's the reality of this fallen world, and it's true of all of us. That's why we have trouble in our relationships. And friends, if we're honest, when we talk about immorality, usually there's enough blame to go around. One party may be more innocent than the other, and I think that's what Jesus is talking about here. It's a relative innocence. You know that there's often hidden currents behind even that sin. If you look at 1 Corinthians, the seventh chapter, the first few verses, uh, there we're warned that Satan is always waiting to take advantage of a cold marriage lacking in intimacy and joy. Sin is always knocking at the door, you see, of every marriage. And it gains entry if we have cold, cold hearts. So that's Jesus' diagnosis. That's how Jesus sees marriage and why we have marital problems. Of course, let's admit it, Jesus' words are frustrating to us as maybe they were to the Pharisees. They're frustrating because he doesn't just give out the rules that we want. Just, just quit all this. We don't want to study in theology. We just want to know what should we do to get out of our marriage. And Jesus never answered this answers it in the way that they want. But in this fallen world, the Christian life is always lived in tension. That's Jesus' diagnosis. We live in a fallen world, and we as God's people live in tension. There's tension between my desires and God's desires. All of us feel that. And there's tension between the way this world is supposed to be and the way it is. And sometimes we just cry out, oh Lord, free me from this wrestling match that I can't win. And that's what Romans 7 is. 
I, I read that earlier. It's Paul saying the same thing. Who will free me from this struggle, this tension, this war that I feel? And his answer is there's only one. Christ Jesus, our Savior. That's the only way to way out to acknowledge that Jesus is our Savior. He's the way out of all this. And so I think we would agree that everybody who's married would agree that this is the experience of every Christian couple. I would certainly say that's true with Jill and with me. If it weren't for the commands of God, would we still be together? I have doubts about that. All these decades that we've spent together, if it wasn't for the promises of God, would we be still together? I don't know. If it wasn't for the Holy Spirit who convicts me of sin, shows me that I have to look at myself rather than my wife, and gives me the power to do that, I don't know if we'd still be together. We'd still be fighting and quarreling, trying to prove who's right and who's wrong. We need a Savior, you see. Don't you? Christian couples, don't you? Haven't you experienced the, the grace of Jesus saving you in your marriage? I think that's true. I, I think some couples get married if their marriage is, is, isn't like those marriages that are described in some Christian books. Not all, but too many. You know, that perfect marriage. Everything works out fine. Everybody's happy all the time. I'll tell you something. They're lying. They're, t- they're telling whoppers because they want you to buy their books. Here's seven steps. You do these seven things, you'll be as happy as we are. It's a lie. Don't buy it. Because Jesus says, and the whole Bible says, that we all have cold, cold hearts. We all have hard hearts. That, that marriage is really the union of two sinners being brought together and they need a Savior. And, and this saving work, the Bible says, takes a whole lifetime. Don't think, well, after five years we'll have it all settled. No, it takes a whole lifetime. And we depend desperately on the saving work of Jesus. So our marriages depend on the grace of Jesus to do his work of saving and rescuing us. And so that's the third point. We need a healing grace. Ask the right question, not the wrong question. Recognize that we live in a fallen world. And then lastly, we need a healing grace. All of us do. We need the great healer. And Jesus' whole business, if I can put it that way, is to heal and to restore us. That's what he's about. His very name means that. Remember Matthew 1, 21, you will call his name Jesus, for he will save, rescue his people from their sins. That's what he came to do. So the question is not, how can I legally divorce, but how can I experience grace and love restoring me and healing me and my marriage? That's the question. Uh, now, just to review, so it's been some weeks, but remember what Jesus taught about how God's love operates? God's healing, restoring, affirming, warm love, how it operates? First of all, love requires a willingness to repent. That was the very first word that Jesus preached, Matthew chapter 4. That means that when God begins to work in our lives, he says, are you willing to change? Are you willing to examine your own life? Adopt a different course to follow me and what I want. And the second thing we saw is that it requires self-denial. 
Mark chapter 8, 34 and 35. A willingness to say no to ourselves in order to say yes to what God is doing in our lives. But, but we found, if you remember, that these are happy choices when we love the Lord. They're happy choices. They're reasonable choices. They're good choices. It makes me happy, the wife says, to see him happy, so that's what I'll do. And even more, it makes us happy to please the Lord. So that's what we'll do. As God gives me grace, I want to do what makes him happy. So his love then brings healing to our hearts and our marriages. And we need that. There's some here, there's some listening who struggle with sexual desires which are outside the boundaries of what God has ordained as marriage between a man and a woman. There's some who struggle with desires for men or a woman outside of their own spouse. That's reality in our, far, for, in our fallen world. I hope you don't act shocked about that because it's real, isn't it? But the love of Jesus constrains us and it transforms us so that we say, yeah, these desires are there, but I will not feed them and I will not say yes to them because I choose to say yes to Jesus. Pleasing him is much more important than pleasing these desires which I feel within me. But someone's going to say to me, I'm in the middle of a storm. Just give me the bottom line. What should I do? After all this talk, what is the right thing to do? I have to tell you, I wouldn't have the courage to say what I'm about to say on my own. But on Jesus' authority, I would say, go for the gold. Go for God's best. Don't give up. Go for all the blessings that God has for you in your marriage. And you're going to say, why? You don't know what I'm experiencing. What gain is there? I see nothing ahead. Uh, can I give you two things that you'll gain? There might be many more, but let me give you two things. The first is a happy marriage. I think there's many who have been married for many years, like me, who will tell you that storms come, sometimes severe storms, but on the other side, love is deeper and richer, and marriages are happier. In fact, there's some studies that show that statistically, those marriages that have gone through these storms and endured those people in these longitudinal studies end up happier than those who in the midst of those storms got a divorce. One thing you might gain is happiness because happiness is there for those who endure. But there's a second thing, I would say even more important thing, which is a strong spiritual life, strength of character. Uh, I don't think it's an at all an accident that three authors of the New Testament all say that virtue and character and a shining faith is built during times of trial. All three of them say the same thing. Paul says it in Romans chapter 5. James says it in the book of James chapter 1. Peter says it in 1 Peter chapter 1. You know why they're saying it? Because it's a deep principle of spiritual growth. In the midst of trial, we, we learn things about ourselves that we need to change. We learn things about the world. And more than anything, we experience things about God's grace and power which is available to us. Things that, grace and power that we may not have even relied on, but we desperately 
rely on during those times of trial. So don't run. That's what I'd say. Don't give up. Fight through because it's worth it. Yeah, but isn't divorce one solution when we're having these severe problems? Read the text yourself. And I do invite you to come to your own conclusions. I think Jesus' answer would be no. He, he says here, um, God made you one flesh. Let no one break that apart. And it, I think it seems to me then that if we break it apart, we can come to no good end. It's not a good thing. And I think that's what verse 9 means. Whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another commits adultery. I, I don't think it's a, it should be read as a legal uh, subsection. I, I think primarily what Jesus is saying is that sin multiplies. Who wants that to happen? Adultery leads to more adultery. Relationships get more and more entangled. Children's lives get fractured. There's economic distress. Look at the statistics. Divorce leads to economic problems by a large margin, primarily for single mothers. Yeah, sin multiplies. So yeah, that's, I think I would summarize it by this. Jesus is saying divorce is not in God's toolbox. That's not the first tool he reaches for. That's Jesus' theme. Instead, much better to invite Jesus to heal and restore and show his power and grace. But, but we live in a broken world. And friends, the reality is there is divorce. Without arguing about when it's right, when it's wrong, it's just a reality. It is there. And so someone who's divorced is going to say, well, what about me? Where does this leave me? Is that unforgivable? Am I outside the grace of God? And the answer is a resounding no. There's healing, there's restoration because we have a great Savior. He specializes in saving sinners like me. He specializes in saving those who have done wrong like me. As we read the Gospels, what do you see? He made the lame to walk. He made the blind to see. He raised the dead. As you read the Scriptures, you see that He forgave adulterers. He, became, he forgave swindlers. He forgave murderers. Can He not restore and redeem those who are divorced? Of course He can. There's nothing impossible for, him, for our Savior. Not only can He, but He does. And there's something even more amazing He does. And I want you to think about this because I think this is amazing, but it may not seem so to you at first. What He does which is more amazing is that He shows those who take pride in their marriage, who think, I have a good marriage, I'm okay, who think, our love is so strong that our marriage will be held together. Who think, I'm disciplined and committed so everything is okay. Whose marriages, in other words, rely on their own strength rather than the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has the power to show them how foolish and sinful they are. He has the power to shift those marriages so that the foundation now is the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I think the Pharisees were like that. You know, I think they could play with these questions that touch at the heart, wounded heart of so many people. They could use it as a test question very cavalierly because they thought their marriages were secure. But Jesus has the power to take all of our marriages 
Lift them off of the faulty foundations on which we put them and put them on the foundation of his grace, his love, and his power. Jesus is a redeemer. I think it's clear that's his ministry. So he finds the lost because we're all lost. He rescues those who are caught in a storm who don't know which way to turn. And he says, trust me, come to me and I'll give you rest. And he restores what is broken. He restores what is hopelessly broken, which those things which we know we can't possibly fix because nothing is impossible with our Savior. Amen. Lord, I know that there are things in this text and things which I said which leave some unsatisfied. But I pray, Lord Jesus, by your grace, that that's what will satisfy us. That we are people who live by your grace, not by the law, not by, especially not by our self-righteousness. That we are people who don't need to parade our accomplishments or our moral integrity before you or the world. That to say we're sinners only invites even more of your grace to pour into our hearts. And we love that, Lord. We love that about you. Bless each one, Lord. Bless all of us who are caught in various kinds of storm. Lord God, be our rescuer, our deliverer, deliverer and savior in your holy name. Amen. I've been just watching the uh, people at work in our new building. That door is a wonderful window, isn't it? Um, and watching those build bulldozers, they're very powerful devices and watch how delicately they work. Those huge things swing right by workers that are within really inches or a few feet of them and they, they dig right next to the foundation wall with a delicate touch. If I was operating those things, man, I'd be knocking people over and breaking the foundation. I'm so glad somebody skilled is building our church. And friends, if your life is like that, you're unhappy, if you're struggling in your marriage or if you find, find desires within you that are at war, I just want to let you know there's someone with great skill who loves you, who's willing to work on your life, willing to work on your marriage. You don't have to do it. Somebody who knows what he's doing will get to work in your life. And so I want to end with this, these words that Jesus said to the man who came to him in Mark chapter 9 with a boy that needed healing. Uh, he was confused. He was in pain. He didn't know if he could really trust. And Jesus asked him this question, well, do you believe? Do you trust me? So that's my, that's my prayer for you. May God show his love to you in such glory that you respond by saying, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. And may his love restore, strengthen, and heal all of you. Amen.